Chapter Five of the Submarine Boys for the Flag. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kenneth Sargent Gagan. The Submarine Boys for the Flag by Victor G. Durham. Chapter Five. Sighting the Enemy. "'You can count on me, sir,' declared Captain Jack Benson eagerly. "'I can count on every one of you submarine boys, can't I?' asked Major Woodruff thoughtfully. "'You can count on us,' declared Benson, "'as though every one of us were sworn into the service "'and had a record of being tried and tested.' "'In an instant after speaking, the submarine boy realized "'that he must have had a boastful sound, so he added quickly, "'Please don't suspect me, Major, of being a, a braggart.' But Hal, Epp, and I have always taken our work with seriousness. We have always acted just as though the flag depended upon us for its protection. We have the desire, every minute of our lives, to be great Americans. That is, great in our devotion to the flag, even if we can't be great in deeds. By Jove, I believe you, cried Major Woodruff, reaching forward and clasping Jack's hand tightly in his own. The Major went on heartily. No, no, Benson, I don't consider you boastful. You're talking the way I heard some youngsters talk when I was a boy. It's refreshing and encouraging to hear you talk that way. Do you know, boy, when we older fellows sometimes get to thinking of the country's past glories, we wonder whether the boys of today are going to make such men as have carried the United States of America forward in the past? The thought makes us solemn and anxious. I suppose every man who has grown and on toward middle life as always in every generation wondered whether boys were as serious and dependable as staunch and loyal as the boys of the day before yesterday look here lad major woodruff rose stepping to the door aft and throwing it open the stern of the tug was visible from the pole that slanted out over the stern hung the stars and stripes you don't need to glance at that fine old bit of bunting more than a second lad continued the major before you feel all that it can ever make you feel in your case i believe the sight of the flag is always an inspiration to you i pray it is so with every boy who grows up in this country standing there before the flag jack quietly doffed his cap thank you benson acknowledging the major also doffing his cap then closing the door Major Woodruff stepped back to the table on which lay the charted book. This chart, Benson, shows what that rascal Millard had been doing out on the neck. The book proves that he has been at work at some other points. The book doesn't tell much of a story, though. Of that I am certain. Millard, if he has been at work long, has compiled other notes and other written volumes. If so, then he has also made other charts of our coast defenses. But what other government has he thus marked a series of charts with our secrets? And has Millard succeeded in getting other charts and other books of notes off to the foreign government he is serving? Or has he them hidden somewhere in this country, awaiting his chances to take the result of his spying out of the United States? Oh, I wish I knew, muttered Jack. I'm coming to the point, continued Major Woodruff briskly. Now, of course, when we discover evidence that spies of another governments are at work along our lines of national defense, 
The first thing we try to do is catch these foreign agents and all the material they have succeeded in getting together. Major Woodruff, who is becoming considerably excited, paused to light a cigar, ere he continued more slowly. Now you and your two friends, Benson, know this fellow Millard. You will spot him instantly wherever you go. I shall communicate with Washington at once by means of a telegram in the cipher. The War Department will order me to use all speed in catching Millard and find out where he keeps his other stolen records. Men and money will be used in running down this fellow. Yet you and your two chums should be in the front ranks of pursuit, for you will know him the instant you lay eyes on him. You want me to take my friends ashore, then, Major, and lay up the Spitfire? By no means, answered Major Woodruff decisively. In reality, operations will be suspended at this point until we have a run Miller down. Yet we must have the appearance of being as busy as ever. The submarine will hover about, and this tug will be busy, apparently, in laying the bay with mines. You have a fourth man on your boat. Yes, sir. Williamson, the machinist. Can he run the engines all right? As well as any of us, Major. And I will put him aboard a man who can steer. Thus the Spitfire will be seen moving about the bay and apparently at work. I also put aboard a guard of a sergeant and three or four soldiers from the engineer corps. And they'll guard that boat from harm with their lives. That will leave all three of you young officers of the Spitfire free for shore duty. It will, Major, and now, sir, what is that shore duty to be? Simply to locate Millard. He may be at one of the hotels in Radford. Radford was a busy, important little port four miles further up the bay. He likes to be somewhere in Radford anyway, nodded young Benson. Well, whatever the fellow has found, he must be seized at once, continued Major Woodruff. Any policeman will seize him on your request. I will give each of you three a written statement that you have been asked to locate Millard and have him arrested. If you run across Millard anywhere, turn him over to a policeman, then show my written authorization. On that, the police authorities will hold the scoundrel and notify the military authorities. Then, once we have Millard out at Fort Craven, securely under lock and key, by authority from Washington, we will make every effort under the sun to locate his charts and notebooks. Why, the work you want us to do is going to be easy enough, murmured Captain Jack. It is going to be easy if you succeed in finding the fellow and in turning him over to a policeman, replied Major Wilberduff. And by the way, I've just remembered that Lieutenant Ritter of the Engineer Corps reported last night from a former station in the West no one around here will know him. Good enough. I'll have Ritter get into citizen's clothes and go about with you three. He can give you instructions on any point about which you're in doubt. We ought to run that rascal down, sir, answered Jack Benson. Unless... Unless what, Benson? Why, sir, unless he's more clever than a rascal, usually succeeds in being. I haven't lived so very long, Major Woodruff, but... From what little I've seen of the world, it has struck me that the cleverest scoundrels are always just a little less smart in the end than the average of honest men. I hope you'll prove it in this case, replied the Major. And now, 
To signal your boat, we'll run both craft in at the ordnance dock at Fort Craven. A couple of miles away, Epp Summers was slowly running the submarine back and forth over the water in seeming aimlessness. In response to sharp blasts from the whistle of the Army tug, the Spitfire was seen to turn and head for the tug. Mr. Summers, you will follow in our wake, shouted Major Woodruff. When the two craft were within hauling distance of each other, we will show you where to make fast at the ordnance dock. Very good, sir, Eph responded with a salute. A little later in the forenoon, both boats docked at the waterfront of Fort Craven. You'll come up to my quarters now and meet Lieutenant Ritter, announced the Major. When he had gathered the submarine boys together and when Jack had given necessary explanations to Williamson. You mean not see us again for a few days, Jack informed the machinist. Ah, that won't surprise me so very much either, laughed the machinist. Things are always happening. Where you are and mysteries have ceased to puzzle me. Have you young men ever been on a military post before? inquired Major Woodruff as he led them up from the dock. Never, sir, replied Jack. We have seen considerable of Navy life, but this is the first time we've ever been at a fort. You don't see much about this place, do you? laughed the engineering officer. That makes you think of a fort. Not much, Benson admitted. Yet we have a fighting plan here that could prevent a big fleet indeed from getting far up the bay at the important cities beyond. That is, Woodruff continued, thoughtfully in a low voice. If the enemy, in advance of his coming here, doesn't know all about our defenses through the work of the spies. Just at that point near the dock, Fort Craven looked not unlike the yard of a big factory plant. Wagons going and coming constantly heightened this effect. Beyond, past the plain on one side, Major Woodruff pointed out the barracks of the coast artillery of the engineer soldiers and of the infantry. There were also laborers' quarters, several office buildings, a hospital, a chapel, and two streets of cottages that served as quarters for the officers stationed at the Fort Craven. It was one of those officers' streets that Major Woodruff soon led his three young companions admitting the boys to his home. The Major took them to the library on the ground floor. Now I'll telephone for Lieutenant Ritter to come over in citizen's dress. At the same time, I must advise Colonel Totten who is commander of the post. He may come over here, or he may order us all over to headquarters. Curtin Taunton elected to come over to the major's quarters. He arrived just after Lieutenant Ritter, who proved to be a rather boyish-looking young man, not long out of West Point. The plans were quickly laid by which Lieutenant Ritter was to take an automobile up to Radford, going to one of the hotels and registering. Jack and his two chums were to make the journey in another auto. They would go to still another hotel, perhaps to three different ones. At any moment when instructions were needed, any one of the three could call up Lieutenant Ritter on the telephone. In addition, Major Woodruff gave each of them three submarine boys a written and signed authorization for them to call upon the police to seize Millard, if found and hold the fellow for the United States military authorities. Now you young men may start for Radford, continued the Major. Colonel Totten and I will busy ourselves with the dispatches that must be sent to Washington about this affair. But I trust you lads will not fail to realize the importance of prompt success. 
It's special duty to the flag, sir, Captain Jack answered simply. The automobiles were waiting outside. Lieutenant Ritter was given a three-minute start. Then the submarine boys followed after in the second car. As Radford was but four miles distance from the post, the trip was not to be a long one. This is a sort of job that has me by the ears, glowed up Summers enthusiastically. I won't be selfish enough to say I hope to be the fellow to catch Millard. But if he does stray my way, I hope I won't be an idiot enough to let him slip through my fingers. I don't care if Lieutenant Ritter is the only one who nabs him, remarked Hal coolly. All that I'm particularly about is to see the foreign agent nab before he succeeds in getting any more information out of the country. The car that bore the boys was soon driving through the streets of Radford. Jack held in his hand a list of better grade and middle class hotels that Colonel Totten had given him. Which hotels are we going to first? asked Hal. I don't know, uttered Jack suddenly, sharply. I know what I'm going to do, however. Leaning forward, the young submarine captain prodded the chauffeur lightly, twice in the back, a signal that had been agreed upon at need. In response, the chauffeur ran the car slowly in at the curb. Captain Jack, opening the two-no door, was quickly out on the sidewalk without any need having risen from wholly stopping the car, which then shot forward again. What on earth was that for? demanded Epp Summers as the car sped on. Don't look back, replied Hal. Why not? Well, a certain party would see you looking at him. Ooh! Why, Jack had the good luck to see Millard going along on the sidewalk. We just passed the fellow. Are we going to nab him? demanded Summers breathlessly. You'll have to leave that decision to good old Jack, chuckled Hal. He's out there, dodging Millard from the rear. It's Jack Benson affair just at this moment. It was mighty hard for Epp to refrain from looking back, but he restrained his curiosity. End of chapter 5 Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Gagan